The problem is that the people that are throwing the fireballs. Good day and welcome to Week Beats Word here on RealAgriculture.com for Wednesday, August the 29th. On this episode of The Word, more weather woes. Will it ever stop raining? Wheat varieties, the data is out. Let's have a look. Glyphosate, does the California ruling really make sense? And more importantly, what do we do about it? Then, lots of great fertility questions and lots of awesome questions from all over North America about what we do to seed wheat right. I love it. Let's go. First off, yes, rain. It just rain and rain and rain. We had to cancel our Elgin Compaction Day. Really disappointed with that. We had such a great lineup of equipment, but simply too wet. It would have been bad data. Simply too wet. Of course, now that we've canceled it, it will quit raining, but that's just the way it is. Meanwhile, I still get tweets and emails and voicemails from growers that are too dry in the province of Ontario. It is absolutely amazing how we can have some people that are just swimming every other day it rains and other people are too dry. It's so wet though in some areas. There are edible beans that have been sprayed now for 12, yes, 12 days. So crayons that have been sprayed for 12 days, you know, they don't last forever. We really do need a break in the weather to start to get some of this third cut hay off. Lots of growers who cut hay, it gets rained on. Other growers that are just waiting to cut hay because they need at least two good days and preferably three good days. So maybe the fact we canceled compaction day will will make it quit raining and we'll start to get back in the field and get some of those jobs done. By the way, there is just a whack of soybeans out there that are starting to turn. They're maturing. Oh, there is some disease out there. There's a little bit of sudden death syndrome, so should walk through and scout. And by the way, you're finding sudden death syndrome. Don't forget, that's where you sample for soybean cyst nematode. The two often go hand in hand, but there's a lot of it. It's just natural senescence. We knew the soybean crop was early. And by the way, that's awesome because it means we get to plant the wheat on time. Meanwhile, wheat varieties, lots of callers with questions about wheat varieties and the information is now available. Go to gocereals.ca. Yes, Nick, you are 100% right. Last update, I said gocereals.net. I don't know why. It's gocorn.net here in Ontario. It's gocereals and it's gosoy. .ca. They're both .ca. A little bit confusing, but GoCereals.ca. Lots of great information there. If you have questions about specific varieties, then you can ask me. There are some really new, exciting varieties to have a look at. Put in your test plot. I am not going to walk through varieties one at a time or give you my top picks. If you have questions on a specific variety, absolutely ask. But when you look at the data, make sure you look at more than just the yield. And remember, in that data set, we do have both fungicide sprayed or the intensive trials versus the unsprayed. Most growers want to look at that. Interestingly enough, dry year in 2018, only a two 
bushel advantage across all the varieties to spraying fungicides in 2018. Meanwhile, for the previous five years when we did that, we had between 8 and 10 bushel per acre yield response. Just one of those things that happen when you get that really dry year. So not that same yield boost. Meanwhile, fusarium. Look at fusarium. Stripe rust. You have to pay attention to stripe rust. You can only get that in the area 2 variety trait table. So you got to go to area 2, even if you're in area 1, to look at stripe rust on those varieties. That's another very major disease. Look at lodging. Look at winter survival. All of those things are factors that you need to consider in your variety decisions. Okay, going to move on. Going to talk about glyphosate. And everybody by now has heard about the California ruling. And there's lots of callers that are really questioning, like, is glyphosate bad or or what? Is it just the, the courts? Is it the jury? Uh, how does that all come together? So I'm going to try and give you a really quick synopsis. Now, Andrew Niss on Twitter, he's at Y-O Weeds, which is W-Y-O Weeds. He's from Wyoming. That's where the Y-O comes from. And I really like Andrew because he's excellent at going through the scientific literature, looking at all the data and summarizing it in a way that, that's really easy to understand for even people like me when we read it. So we'll put the link here. And for those people that are on the podcast or on their computer, you can go to that link. You can read that study. But... When you look at all the different studies on glyphosate, and there's quite a few of them, we can't feed glyphosate to humans. It's not something we can do to see if they then get cancer. So you have to do that science a different way. There's two ways to do it. One is with case control studies. And a case control study essentially says, you've gotten this disease. What could you have been exposed to? What risk factors in your history could have caused this disease? So when Andrew went through the literature, a number of studies, case control studies, and in particular, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, that's the type of cancer in the California case. And he used a number of one. So if the study was above one, then there was a potential link between the glyphosate use and that type of cancer, if it was below one, then there was no link between the two, no potential link. When he looked, almost all the studies were above one. So that raises a red flag. Maybe there is some relationship there. But then when you looked at the statistical analysis of that, and that's a little more complex, but when you looked at is it statistically significant or not, Almost all of them were not statistically significant. I think there was one or maybe two that we would say, yeah, they're just the, the whisker hairs around that, that number, that average number just are above the one line. So, yep, that's statistically significant. Then he went back to those case control studies and said, okay, from the group that were in the study, the 270 participants or whatever that number was, quite small groups in these studies, what percentage of those people actually were exposed? to glyphosate in their normal everyday routine. That number in most studies was very, very low, 2 or 3%. So that again says, well, we get one or two studies that, that are statistical, but the, the, the sample size is incredibly small. So then you say, okay, what are the other ways we can look at this, the other type of science we can do? And that's a prospective cohort study. In a prospective cohort study, they start with a big group of people that don't have the disease yet. And they say, what 
disease could these risk factors cause? And so there is a huge prospective cohort study. It's ongoing. It's the Agricultural Health Study. There's over 50,000 participants in this study. So that's a huge number. And they looked then at non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and glyphosate exposure. And they actually did the exposure by quartiles. So they took the group that had the least exposure, the bottom quarter, the second quarter, the third quarter, the top quarter that had the most exposure, and they analyzed those groups separately for the development of the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Guess what? All of the quartiles, all four quartiles were below one, and you would expect if there was a relationship that the, the quartile with the most exposure to glyphosate would be at least closer to one. That was not the case. So when you look at all that data, Andrew's conclusion is... I remain thoroughly unconvinced that glyphosate causes cancer. Okay, stop and think about that a minute. Here's a scientist. He looked at all the data. The data doesn't support that glyphosate causes that cancer, but he does not come out and say glyphosate does not cause cancer. Why? Because he's a scientist, and scientists, there you he can't know that for sure. So he remains thoroughly unconvinced that glyphosate causes cancer. What's the problem with that? The problem is that the people that are throwing the fireballs at glyphosate, they immediately say glyphosate causes cancer. They don't have the data to back it up, but that's what the media hears. That's what people hear. And so somewhere in this whole thought process, this glyphosate ruling, it's incredibly concerning because is it just the start? Are we going to see more and more of these pesticides fall based on perception or we don't know exactly what the jurors heard in the court so we don't know why they came to that conclusion but the science clearly doesn't support that conclusion meanwhile that's the conclusion that was reached to me this is the real concern and we as agriculture we have to start figuring out how to do a much better job of explaining things to our non-agricultural counterparts because they're setting the agenda they don't want the risk i get that i don't want risk either but when there isn't a risk then we have to be able to get that message across we'll talk more about this if you have ideas by golly fire them back to me because this is a really really big problem okay enough on that holy that was way too long phil you asked about phosphorus and potash on your wheat stubble so phil is in a three-year rotation good for you corn, soybeans, and wheat. He puts his phosphorus and potash on once other than starter, and that's the way I do it as well. And his question is, do I go out there and do I rent a fertilizer spreader and just spread my phosphorus, my potash now on my wheat stubble? I'm going to moldboard plow. Oh no, I hate that. I'm such a not, don't plow, work it in some other way, a strip till. Anyway, enough. Going to moldboard plow it this fall, or would I get better use out of that fertilizer if next spring before I plant my corn crop I go out there and the terrigator puts it on because there's some nitrogen in my map how what's the best time so Phil a few things first off you're going to rent a fertilizer spreader I hate fertilizer spreaders they just don't do a good uniform job if you're going to do that job I really would prefer you get the spread pattern right and to do that you either have to use a European style spreader they're the best or an airflow type unit or something that's calibrated so just renting a fertilizer spreader yeah it saves you a few bucks but when you look at how poor that spread pattern is i think that's false economy next you wait on the terrigator next spring you delay corn planting a day half a day two days whatever 
The answer is no, don't do it. If you have the starter fertilizer capability on your planter, then the, the rest of the fertilizer goes on this fall. Absolutely. The fertilizer will probably be cheaper this fall than it is next spring. You can get that job done. You don't have to worry about it. And as far as the availability of that fertilizer, it's virtually the same. The only difference, there's actually two differences. One would be the nitrogen. And yeah, so you put on 200 pounds a map, just as an example, that's 20 pounds of actual nitrogen, you'll lose 10. The other 10 will still be there. So you've lost, what is that? $3.50 an acre, something like that. It's it's a non-issue to have that job done. The other one, and this is more for Western Canada, but the chloride. So in Ontario, we're almost never chloride deficient. We put potash on, it's potassium chloride. That chloride leaches out of the profile over the wintertime. If you are chloride deficient, if you're in one of those areas, then putting that potash on in the spring is a much, much smarter move. Okay, going to move on. Brad, you're in Manitoba, and I love this. Brad says, hey, listen to the Hefty Brothers. And man, they are always talking about balancing nutrients, this this whole base saturation and, and potash, as well as pH and, and a high pH, trying to lower that. Do I really have to worry about that? And the answer, the simple answer is no, it does not apply in Manitoba. It actually doesn't apply in just about anywhere in Western Canada or for that matter in Eastern Canada. Using base saturation to determine your potash rates, almost for sure, you will apply way more potash than you need. I talked with John Hurd, the Manitoba soil fertility specialist. John is one of my mentors. There's no better soils guy that I'm aware of. And he says, Peter, in Manitoba, it's pretty simple. You're in a sand soil, the potash has leached. You're under 100 parts per million almost for sure. You need potash. If you're not on a sand soil, we are so rich in potash, at least 200 parts per million, maybe 500 parts per million. You don't need potash likely for years. So base saturation does not work in Western Canada, Brad. And as far as lowering pH, yeah, good luck with that. When we have a a low pH, if I have a 5 pH, I have to apply 2, 3, 4 tons of lime. You have a pH of of eight, well, that's from seven. That's only one pH unit. That would be like a six. So that's still okay. So you don't worry about it till you get to a pH of what? At least eight, four or eight, five. And then how do you lower it? Do you put on four ton of sulfur? I don't think that works. So the answer is no, no, no. Don't worry about that. Okay, John, you're in southwestern Quebec. This is cool. So John's about the same latitude as Kempville for those of us in Ontario. So that puts it in perspective. And is its first time ever planting winter wheat. He's after processing peas, put on sheep manure. Wow, what an awesome place to start. Couldn't get better. So a couple things. Your seeding date. John suggested I'm going to seed between September 20th and 25th. No, no, no. Too late. I want to push you earlier. If I'm at Kemptville, I really want to see that winter wheat in the ground by September the 15th. I don't think you can get hurt by going to September the 10th. So I'm going to move you up to in that 10th to the 15th range in September. You said the local agribusiness said 200 pounds per acre of wheat seed. What is that? No, it's all by population. By the way, see Seed size is small this year. At 200 pounds, there's lots of seed lots that are 14,000 seeds per pound. You're at 2.8 million seeds. You seed that on September the 15th, it will all fall over flat. So no, target 1.5 million seeds per acre. You said you're on a silt loam to a clay loam. I think that's solid. And as far as a starter goes, 100 pounds a map. That's what's going to work for you. Last, and this is really cool. So Dan from Idaho sent me an email saying, Peter, so I can have an opportunity to plant my, my winter wheat, but we are so dry here. There is no moisture. There's almost no rain in the forecast. Last year, I seeded in dry soil and my neighbors told me I was crazy. 
Then when it started to rain, it rained for four weeks, and my wheat was up and growing and looked beautiful before my neighbors even got a chance to get their wheat seeded. So am I crazy? Should I go plant my wheat again, even though it's that dry? Should I listen to my neighbors and wait until it starts to rain? What's the best management strategy? And Dan, you did it right last year. Absolutely. Go put that wheat seed in the ground. If it's the optimum date, and it's only August here, so it's too early for us, but if it was September the 10th, and it was dry. I mean, I would plant up to three inches deep just to get that wheat seed into moisture. Below three inches, too tough to do. Not going to do that. Plant it at an inch and a quarter, inch and a half, something like that. And it will sit in the soil. We have seen wheat seed sit in the soil for at least a month. With corn and soybean seed, we've actually seen it sit in the soil. Well, there was in 1988, we planted on the 5th of May. It rained on the 17th of July. And that seed just stayed in dry storage that whole time. Wheat will just sit there as long long as it's dry, it's happy. It won't start till it rains. There, there's two risks. One is if insects start eating it or, or animals start digging it out. The other risk is you get that first rain. It's a nice shower. It starts the wheat and then it dries out again. Yeah, that can happen. But mostly once it starts to rain, it keeps raining. Get that wheat seed in the ground. Look at that. Once again, I am out of time. On behalf of the team here at realagriculture.com, this is Wheat Beat with the word for Wednesday, August the 29th. Leave us lots of questions. I'll have tons to talk about on next week's episode, and we will talk to you then. Bye now.